biblical narrative, particularly Old Testament biblical narrative, uh, that you investigate the meaning of the names in the stories. Uh, in the Jewish culture, particularly in antiquity, they, they would place a lot of meaning and a lot of the family's story even would go into the names that they gave their children and the names that they gave places. Uh, Jehovah Jireh wasn't uh, one of the names of God, really. It was what Abraham called a place where God provided for him. There was so much meaning and feeling uh, behind the name that he assigned to that place. And, and so names are important in the scripture. And in verse 1 and 2, the text introduces us not to God, not to a, a major theological or doctrinal concept. In the text, the scripture introduces us to a family. Came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And then the scripture begins to give us their names, and it's significant. It may seem like verse 2 is just um, sort of straightforward and there's not much to it, but there's a lot of richness in the meaning. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife is Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Shilion. Now, in verses 1 and 2, the scripture doesn't seem like it's given too much, but we've got a few names here that help add context and insight into the story. First of all, this family had their roots in a place God had planted them. The name of the place was Bethlehem, Judah. Yeah, it was that Bethlehem that Jesus would later be born. Bethlehem, Judah. And the name is significant because Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. That, that ultimately, thousands of years later, the bread of heaven himself, Jesus Christ, would be born in Bethlehem. House of bread. Now, in the scripture, bread always speaks of revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge of what? The revelation knowledge of God, who God is, how God moves, what God's doing in the earth, and what God wants to do in your life. To understand any of those things, you need revelation. So Bethlehem is the house of bread or the house of revelation. And then it says Bethlehem, Judah. Judah was the place of praise. In the scripture, Judah means praise. So on initial inspection of the text, we see a family that had their roots, their root system in a house of revelation and in a house of praise. And then we see the names of the parents. Elimelech, his name means God is my king. That's a great name. God is my king. <clears throat> it lets you know that Elimelech came from somebody who knew God, that that they named their son. They wanted him to carry that for the rest of his life. That every time he introduced himself to someone, hi, my name is God, is my king. And then Naomi, his wife, her name means peaceful. And we have all the makings of, of a great family story in, in the first couple of words of the first two verses. And then some trouble comes in on the pages because it says they had two children. And one of their names was Malon, and the other was Chilion. And you start kind of thinking, uh, what kind of name would a, would a father that's name was God is my king, and, and whose mother's name was peaceful, what kind of name would they give their children? Well, Malon means sickness. And Chilion means weakness. I'm sure you're asking yourself, what kind of parents would name their children sickness and weakness? It may help you to understand that in biblical culture, they did not have a written 
culture. Uh, they didn't keep libraries with history books and they, they didn't tell stories with the written word. They lived in an audible storytelling culture. And so a lot of times it was customary for families to name their children after whatever the dominant characteristics of the season they were going through when the child was born. So it's very possible that the family was going through intense sickness at the time Malon was born. And so they named him after the general circumstances the family was going through. Very possible the family was going through uh, great weakness the time Shalion was born. And so they named him after the circumstance that they were going through. But in either case, it's still relevant to us because we see two members, the father and the mother, of a strong family. And yet even in a strong family, they're dealing with sickness and weakness. And every family deals with seasons of sickness and weakness. To be a part of a family is to have to watch each other go through seasons and times of sickness and weakness. You take turns being strong for each other as they go through sickness and weakness. Whether it's relational sickness and weakness or whether it's physical sickness and weakness or mental or emotional sickness and weakness. Every family has some sickness and some some weakness but up to this point in their lives regardless of the amount of sickness and weakness that they had gone through the sickness and the weakness had not been able to destroy them because of where they lived they lived in a house of revelation and praise and the reality is the text is pertinent to us because it's not that believers never get sick and it's not that believers never get weak but when you live in a house of revelation and you go through sickness revelation will remind you you might be sick right now but by his stripes you're going to be healed. You, you might be sick right now, but remember what Moses said. He said, I am the Lord who healeth thee. I am the Lord your healer. And when Moses spoke that to the people which God had spoke to him, healing began to break out all over the camp. And when you live in a house of revelation, you'll remember that David said he forgives all of our iniquities and he heals all our diseases. If you live in a house of revelation, a word of revelation will come and meet your sickness at the door and say, you're not going to stay here forever. You're not going to take this family down. The revelation of what you know about God and what you know God promised will start fighting against what is fighting you. It, it, it's not that we never go through weakness. But when you go through times of weakness, revelation will kick in. The revelation from the place you are planted in. If you're planted where God designed you to be, revelation will say you might be weak right now. But let the weak say, I am strong. Revelation will say to your weakness, you might be weak right now. But I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Revelation will remind you that his strength is made perfect in times of weakness so so no matter if you're walking through sickness or you're walking through weakness if you live in a house of revelation the revelation will start speaking to what you are going through and, and as if that wasn't enough they they lived in Bethlehem Judah just not only the house of revelation but also the house of praise and 
and praise will pull God into your circumstances, whatever your circumstances may be. The scripture says that God inhabits the praises of his people, meaning he comes close to his people when they praise him, regardless of what his people are going through. And so by the time revelation gets done telling you what God said about your circumstance and you start giving God praise, your praise pulls God down into the sickness with you. And when God gets in the same space as your sickness, you'll notice your sickness start to dissipate and melt away. When God gets in the same space as your weakness, you'll notice that even in your weakness, you're stronger than you've ever been before. And it creates it creates a dichotomy for the believer because David said in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And the praiser lives a dichotomous lifestyle. It's duplicitous. It's, it's dual in its nature because only a praiser knows what it's like to be sick in your body and yet full of joy at the same time. Only a praiser knows what it's like to be going through a weak season in your life or a weak season in your finances or a weak season in your family and yet have fullness on the inside because where the presence of the Lord is, there is fullness. It's so strange to be a real praiser because you can literally have everything in your life falling apart and yet be so happy you're crying literal tears of joy and lay down in peace when they're threatening you and lay down and get rest when all hell's breaking loose against you and walk through things that have killed other people because when you're a praiser, you got his presence with you and again in his presence there is fullness that's why you ought ne never let anything take your praise you ought never let anything take 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 your take your your root system your connection to revelation and to praise revelation I know who God is and what God's word said about my situation and then and then praise God I'm standing here dealing with it and while I'm dealing with it I'm gonna lift up my hands I don't feel better yet but I'm gonna lift up my hands my back's still hurting I'm gonna lift up my hands they say I need surgery I'm gonna sing a song to you they say they're gonna have to go in and fit but I am gonna praise you right where I'm so it's I can't do this today so so it's 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 no wonder that the sickness and the weakness that the family had in it it wasn't able to destroy them because of where they lived because of what they were connected to uh, Believers live in a cycle of deliverance. Oh, Jesus. I said believers live in a cycle of deliverance. Think about your life the last two, three, four years. God has either just delivered you is delivering you or is about to deliver you if you look back through the years of your life you'll find you were always in one of those three stages you were either about to be delivered you were being delivered in the present moment or you had just got finished getting delivered from something by our God we live in a cycle of deliverance and it is the cycle of deliverance we live in it's not that we never get afflicted folks the Bible says many are the afflictions of the right but the Lord delivers out of them all. Whatever your affliction is this morning, deliverance is available in a cycle for you. Deliverance is available in a cycle for you. Not a one-time deliverance because there's this problem with God's nature. Whatever God does, he does forever. When God created the earth, the earth started spinning and it has never stopped since. When God created the seasons they started rotating and they've never stopped since if God ever heals you once you're in a cycle of healing if God ever blessed you once you're in a cycle of blessing if God ever raised your children up once you're in a cycle of promotion because
I just wish I just I need just two minutes. Does is, is anybody know what the cycle's like? Has anybody looked back over your life last 5, 10, 15 years and seen a cycle of God's deliverance? If he ever pulled you out, you ought to clap your hands right now in the house of revelation. Let's give God a praise. It does matter where you are planted. Because God has put everything you needed to survive the attacks that are coming somewhere close around where he's planted you. Samson, when a thousand Philistines attack you, don't worry about the fact that you didn't bring your sword. Just look down at your feet in the place I planted you. I'm going to give you the victory through the jawbone that's already in the spot where I led you. David, you won't be needing Saul's armor to kill that 10-foot giant. David, all you need to do is go down to the stream in your backyard where I planted you. Because before you were born, I created five smooth stones and put them right where they needed to be. They've been waiting all these years for your hand to find them. Your weapon is in the location that I planted you in. So, so the highest level of temptation isn't some powder to sniff up your nose or a skirt to chase. Oh, I'm laboring now, Lord, why do you do this to me? The highest level of temptation is to leave the place. Where God planted you. Leave the family where God planted you. Leave the space where God planted you because what you don't know is your resources are in the ground of that place. Why did the descendants of Abraham not, not take possession of the place? Why did they let the enemy have the possession of that place God gave Abraham? Why? B because they thought it was just a desert. And they didn't realize that under the sand were rivers of oil. That there was an ocean of oil flowing underneath their feet. And that their descendants, their great, 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 great grandchildren would have inherited enough to own the world. God wanted to give Abraham and his descendants the world. But God can't do nothing about what you choose to leave. And there's something about hard seasons that tempt you to walk away. The Bible said everything was going good in the house of bread, the house of revelation and praise until a famine came, until a hard season came. Where did you ever get the idea that God would never trust you with a hard season? What fairy tale did you grow up on? What spoiling did you get? What poor raisin did you get that you, you never feel like you're going to go through a, a hard season? How many romantic comedies did you digest hook, line, and sinker that you don't think your marriage is going to go through a It's 
the matter with you on that job that God gave you? And now you're thinking of quitting because somebody on the job or, or some leadership in the company has is, is put you in a hard season. What was it? It was, it was a famine that made this family say, you know what, we might all start look, looking at greener pastures. It was a famine. It was something that required them to tighten their belts a little bit. And people today, same as people back then, nobody's ever liked to have to tell the belly no. And so they made the decision to relocate because famines can cause discomfort. And discomfort can lead, if you don't deal with it right, it can lead to despair. Despair can lead to desperation. And desperation can lead to dumb decisions. There's a little alliteration for you. Discomfort, despair, desperation dumb decisions never make an important decision when you're desperate well, that's what they did Elimelech and Naomi made a desperate decision to uproot the family from the house of revelation and praise and decided to go to Moab. I expected that reaction. You probably don't know nothing about Moab because you probably haven't studied your Bible deeply enough to know about Moab. Let me tell you about it. You remember Abraham's evil nephew Lot? One that landed in Sodom and Gomorrah by choice? Well, that Lot got plastered drunk one night and decided he would rape his own daughter. Got to feeling bad about it by the time the baby came. And so he decided to break protocol and allow the girl to name the baby. And when she did, she got her daddy back because she named him Moab, which is literally translated, my father did this to me. That's Moab. It is the place in scripture of abusive self-gratification. Now, when Elimelech, you're welcome, when Elimelech looked around and he saw famine and he saw hard times, okay, his instinct was to bounce to the greenest pasture he could. And that just so happened to be Moab. Here's the problem. It looked good. On the outside. But the root system of the place was corrupted. And so he uproots his family from the place of revelation and praise and plants them down into corruption, selfishness, and narcissism. And the roots started to flow. And I, I'm, I'm sure the first year they were there, it seemed like they had made the right decision. But the Bible says after a short time that Elimelech died. Because the sickness that had been working in that family and the weakness that had been working. See, see, you got you to see those two together. My grandmother, for the last 25, 30 years of her life, she could have died at any time. Okay. Because she had a lot of sickness. But she was too strong to die. <laughs> because if you've got great strength, you can fight off sickness. I've seen people do it, but, but if you got sickness and weakness, 
That's a recipe for death and destruction. The only thing that had been holding off that sickness and weakness in Elimelech was the place God planted him in. Because the place had the antidote for the poison that was plaguing him. And so when he, when he extracted himself from the place, what was working in him now, now had no antidote. That sickness and weakness in him had nothing to counter it. Okay. And so it killed him because of what he disconnected from. And like father, because the Bible says those two boys, after daddy died, those two boys, not even 10 years later, they were dead too. Because sickness and weakness, whatever your particular brand is, is often generational. Oh God, I said a thing right there. Sickness and weakness is often generational. Okay. So you, you gotta, if you've learned, let me just, I'm, I'm just talking. If, if you've learned how to combat your sickness and weakness by revelation from God and by praise, you better teach your kids about the necessity of revelation and praise so that after you're gone, they'll know what to do with that sickness and weakness you pass down to them. And so, yeah, I feel the Holy Ghost. And so, uh, and so they, they left Bethlehem, Judah, hoping to, to go from bad to better. But instead, they went from bad. Have you ever left bad and ended up in worse? I was thinking about you. I was thinking about you, Lionel, because I was reading this. Coming up on the five-year anniversary of Harvey, Hurricane Harvey, destroyed Houston. And Time Magazine was talking about the fact that after Katrina, Hurricane Katrina destroyed New Orleans, a lot of people in New Orleans, by the tens of thousands, left New Orleans and reestablished and rebuilt their lives in Houston. Not knowing that just as soon as they got on their feet and they got things rebuilt, here comes Harvey. Have you ever left bad trying to get better? And ended up in a worse. And, and, and the family is struggling. And the family has had three deaths. They've had three funerals. All the men are gone. But verse 5 does give us one, one little morsel of grace and hope. It says, the woman survived. The woman survived. And when I think about that, I have to praise God because I know that the sickness and the weakness that killed Elimelech and the sickness and the weakness that killed Malon and Chilion, I know it could have killed Naomi too. But sometimes God will put a grace on you to survive what killed other people around you. And not everybody knows about that, but there's a few people in the room that have lived long enough to see yourself survive things that killed people close to you. That, that not all of your classmates are still alive. Not all of your family members are still alive. Not everybody you were in the club with that night is still alive. Not everybody you dated is still alive. Not, not everybody you grew up with is still alive. Not all of your best friends are still alive. And some of the stuff that got them should have got you too. But God gave you a grace to survive what was killing other people people and 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 you know it's God when when you should have died and you should have been taken out and you should have been destroyed but but somehow you you survived it just nudge somebody say I survived it 
I, I survived. Get something in your mind that you survived because I don't want to make you a liar in church. And, and if you really did survive something, now push somebody and say, I want you to know I did survive it. I should have been dead. I should have been in the grave a long time ago. But the glory of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the kindness of God, I don't even know why I survived it. But glory to Jesus. I I survived it. Push somebody else. Say, I, I survived it. It must have been God. It must have been grace. It must have been purpose. It must have been destiny. It must have been mercy. Because I know I Oh, I'm laboring. So there's three women in the text. You got Naomi, and she's a widow. You, you, you got Ruth, she's a widow. You, you got Orpha, she's a widow. They're all from different cities, all from different backgrounds, totally different cultures. They speak different languages. They only got one thing in common. They are all survivors. And, and that's why I love coming to church at Christian World, because we may be different colors, and we may be different cultures and we may have different backgrounds and we may have different stories and many of us speak different languages but we all got one thing in common this is a church full of people who survived the attacks of the enemy this is a church full of people that know you wouldn't be here if God didn't step in this is a church full of people that know had it not been for the Lord that was on your side the devil would have swallowed you it's a church full of people say I may not know all the books of the Bible I may not be able to quote it but I know that night God saved me I know that moment God rescued me I know Naomi survived, but she's bitter. She's buried a husband and two sons. Now she's got to deal with these young, immature daughter-in-laws. And she feels that they are somehow her responsibility now. But she can't even care for herself. Have you ever had the pressure of taking care of people when you could barely take care of your own? Have you ever had to carry other people when you really needed somebody to come along and carry you? She's mad at God, and in the text, she concludes, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me peaceful anymore. My life ain't peaceful. Call me more. I am bitter. I'm bitter. The Almighty has afflicted me because, because she started looking for God, and she couldn't find him. She started reaching for him, and she couldn't feel him. Have you ever looked for God? Have you ever reached out? And, and when she reaches and she can't feel, when she looks and she can't find, she steps back and says, I'm changing the name you gave me. Because you have decided, you brought this on me. You have decided to afflict me. She, she did what we always do. She blamed God for the results of her bad decision. And the problem with her logic in, I can't find God. 
is God is not the one that relocated. never told her leave. God never told her to go to Moab. Naomi, you were not destined or created to live in Moab. You were designed to live in the house of revelation and praise. You weren't designed for this environment. I don't know when you're going to learn. You got too much word in you. You got too much God in you. You got too much knowledge in you to ever be satisfied living in the world again. Doing the things the way the culture does it and, and doing things the way all the crazy people that don't know God do. You'll never be satisfied. You weren't designed for that. You weren't designed for that lifestyle. You weren't designed for it. You weren't designed for those friends. What fellowship hath light with darkness? You, you weren't designed for it. And, and you're reaching for God because you think he's left you. You left. I quote all the time. You said you'd never leave me or forsake me. Yeah, but he didn't say that you would never leave or forsake him. What if God's in the last place you left him? And so, and so the text says something amazing about our God. Because even when you leave him, Oh, I'm a witness. Even when you leave him, he'll always come looking for you. And, and, <laughs> and, and the Bible said that when God, got, when God got ready to go looking for Naomi, he sent her a preacher. Now, it's a nameless preacher. The text doesn't tell us his name. The, the text just simply says in verse 6 that she heard about the prosperity that was going on in Bethlehem, Judah. If she heard it, that means there had to be a preacher sent to tell her about the good news that was going on back where she had come from. And the preacher started talking a message. He started preaching a message about the goodness of God, how that God had been just ravishing his people with, with blessing and with plenteous grain and with, with a, a bursting economy and good things. And the preacher started preaching blessings so good, she started to remember and think to herself, you know, we may have had some hard times back home, but we were always blessed in spite of it. And if you look at your life and stop complaining for a minute, I, I bet you will deduce through your logical conclusion that, that you may have had some hard times while you've been planted in the courts of the Lord, but you've always been blessed. And, and, and so she, she makes the decision. She makes the decision because of the words of a preacher, a nameless preacher God sent by to preach faith and tell her good news about what would happen in your life if you would just come back home, about what would happen in your life if you just get back in position, about what happened in your life if you just grow where God planted you, about what happened in your life if you start doing the things you used to do, about what would happen in your life if you return to revelation and if you return to praise, about what would happen in your life if you'd start praying again, about what would happen in your life if you made the presence of God a priority again, about what would happen in your life if you started tithing again, about what would happen in your life if you started serving again, about what would happen in your life. And the preacher preached so good that, that she made a wise decision. She said, I'm going back. I'm going back because as long as the prodigal was living, 
he could always go back. The, one of the greatest gifts that life offers while you're still alive is the ability to get back in the place that God destined you to be. And, and so, and so she, she makes the decision. She's saying, uh, uh, I'm going to go on to get back. I'm going to go on to get back. I don't have to live like this. I'm going to go on to get back. I don't have to suffer like this. I'm going to go on to get back. I don't have to weep like this. I'm going to go on to get back. And I'm going to get my joy back. I'm going to get my relationship with God back. I'm going to get my prayer life back. I'm going to get my praise life back. I'm going to get my connection with my church back. I'm going to get my connection with my community back. I'm going to get my connection with all the people that God assigned me to pour into back. I'm going to get it all back. I'm not going to let this misery and this bitterness destroy me from living out the purpose and the plan and the destiny God assigned to my life. I'm not going to die in a place God never intended me to live. Oh, I said I'm not going to die in a place God never intended me to live. I am going to get it back. And I came to tell at least three people that's hurting real bad in your life. It's time for you to try your tears and employ the get back. Get your prayer life back. Get praying in tongues back. Get anointing with oil back. Get walking around your house and declaring the promises of God. Get it back. Get laying hands on your children back. Get standing in prophecy and standing on promise back. Get the name of Jesus back in your prayers. Get the glory of God back in your praise. Get that mess out of your stereo and get the praises of the Lord back on your way to work. Get your communication back. Will you talk more faith than you do doubt? Will you talk more promise than you do problem? Get your positivity back. Get your faith back. Get your hope back. Get your expectation back. Go get your wife back. Get your husband back. Get your kids back. Get your sister back. Get your brother back. Get your nieces back. Get your nephews back. Get your cousins back. How many more family members will you lose to the enemy? Get your money back. Get your prosperity back. Get your dream back. Get your future back. Get your destiny You got to get it back, Naomi. You got to get it back. You got to get it back. Yeah. You've got to get it back. Because that, cause that floozy little sister-in-law, that floozy little daughter-in-law, rather, of yours, Ruth, she's dumb as a box of rocks. She ain't been trained right. She don't know how to act like a lady, sit like a lady, talk like a lady. She ain't a lady. She's a hoe. But if you take that whore back to the house of bread, oh yeah. See, I've pastored long enough to see God turn dirty people into incredible people. To see God turn weak people into strong people. If they get in the right. Naomi, you got to get back. Because if you get that girl in the house of bread, I'm going to put a bun in her oven. If you get that girl Ruth in the house of bread, I'm going to give her a Boaz that will put a seed in her that will change the destiny of the nation. Because, because Ruth is going to get a bun in her, in her oven named baby Obed. You don't know him, but, but he's going to put a bun in his wife's oven by the name of Jesse. You may not know him, but he's going to have a baby with a prostitute. Little red-headed stepchild named King David. 
and from David's lineage will come to Bethlehem the bread of life himself the real manna that fell in the dry place and his name was Jesus so Naomi nay nay honey Listen to me. Your purpose isn't just about you. Because God intertwines people, places, and purpose. If you're out of place, it's time to go on the get back. Stand to your feet. Give the Lord a praise in the house this morning. pray for you all the time. I still remember Anthony Preacher. I'll never forget. Your marriage is a blessed place. That's going to take me too old school. Then I'll start singing. Then we'll be here all day. And I'm not. So play something else. Listen. Your marriage is a blessed place. Don't let a season of famine. You know, the Bible always classified famines. If it was a famine where you couldn't eat at all, it would say it was severe famine or a great famine. This wasn't that. This was a, a difficult but survivable thing. And they left over something that they didn't have to leave over. Husbands and wives, stop thinking about leaving over stuff you don't have to leave over. It's not God's plan for you. Stop disconnecting from the people in your life because you're going through a hard time or because they had to tell you a hard truth. You know, the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend and a brother is for adversity. Sometimes the people that love you the most will hurt you the most in an attempt to try to help you the most. Sometimes the best people for you are people who challenge you and offend you and challenge your way of thinking. God sews together, weaves together, intertwines together people, places, and purpose. If I'm the man that God has assigned to speak his word into your life, don't disconnect from me because I got your bread. It ain't my bread. He gave it to me. To give to you. Don't leave the places God's planted you. When will we learn this? How much time will we waste? How much sickness and weakness will we allow to devour our lives? When if we would learn to do what Paul said, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If we would learn to, to be steady, to be unmovable, steadfast, always abounding 
In what? In, in the faith and the belief that I know I'm purposed by God. And I know God's purpose is, is, I'm involved in it, but it's bigger than just me. So wherever I'm placed, wherever I'm planted, that's where I need to be. Okay. Wherever I'm placed, wherever I'm planted, that's where I need to be. Well, what if God didn't lead me to this marriage? You can't say that. Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. Listen, I'm not advocating you stay in abuse. Okay. No, the Bible excuses shutting a marriage down for that. I'm not staying, saying stay in, in sexual immorality and all that kind of stuff. I've seen a lot of people heal and work it out and be better on the other side of it. But, but the, Bible, the Bible gives you some, some outs. I'm not saying you, you harm yourself. But I'm saying most of the time we leave over famines that are not that severe. There may be a famine in your communication, a famine in your intimacy life, a famine in your finances right now, and you're fighting about it all the time. There may be a famine, you know, in, in, in any area. But famines don't last always. But the blessing on the place God planted you does. In fact, the blessing on the place God planted you will continue to flow and work for your children and their children after them. Do you know the Bible says that Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons all drank from the wells that Abraham dug in a blessed place. Do you know why the fall, you know why when Joseph's brothers took him and they threw him in a well, you know why the fall didn't kill Joseph? It's because it was a well that Abraham had dug and it was blessed ground. That ground had to catch that boy like a pillow when he fell because, because when God assigns people and places and purpose, he, he puts what you need in the ground. Father, bless the word that's in their spirit. I told them what you gave for me to say. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will take it and carry it to the places where they need it the most. Thank you for using me. Thank you for giving them ears to hear, hearts to understand, eyes to see. Lord, I pray your blessing upon them. I pray your strength upon them. I pray your confidence, your direction, your clarity upon them. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that your rest and your peace would hover over them and help them make good decisions. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a great praise. Great praise. Hallelujah.